Welcome to the Texas Values Report. This is Jonathan Sines, president of Texas Values. Great to be with you on another glorious week in the state of Texas. Boy, we're several days into the year 2022, and it's almost as if nothing has changed. There's been a lot going on in the work we do. If you're new to the show, we talk about the issues of faith, family, and freedom in the arenas of the courts, the legislature, and the media. And speaking of the courts, we've got a lot to cover that's for what's happening as it relates to the state of Texas and the country, for that matter, um, that's happening tomorrow. And that's why we're doing the video part of this broadcast on Thursday, because some very important hearings, some very important things going on in the court at the appellate court. You've got the heartbeat law is having a hearing on Friday. And then at the U.S. Supreme Court, the Biden vaccine mandates. We're going to get a little bit more detail about some of those issues. If you're on social media, all right, I'm going to get my phone out. You're watching on Facebook. You want to like this, share it. Let's get it into some groups. We've got a great guest today. I'm going to go ahead and do it on my phone. Great to be with you. All right, that's too loud. Excuse me. Okay, I'm sharing it. We'd like for you to do the same because we want to have a good conversation. Feel free to comment. We've got a great guest today, and she's going to be on for about 15 minutes. We're going to go for about half an hour in our video segment. But And this is the first time for her to be on, so we're excited about that. And she's right in the middle of so much important work that we're involved in at Texas Values. So Catherine Glenn Foster is the president and CEO of Americans United for Life. She has her law degree from Georgetown University. She has her master's degree from the University of South Florida. And she's been involved in the pro-life work for quite some time. Not only that, she's been highlighting the Texas heartbeat law. As a matter of fact, I went to her Twitter uh, account earlier today before we got on, and she's got pinned, okay, the first uh, story, the first kind of tweet or the tweet that she's featuring is one about the Texas heartbeat law, and she is originally from the state of Georgia. Catherine, welcome to the Texas Values Report. Pleasure to be here. Well, look, it's ex- uh, exciting to have you on and to have you a part of the conversation and to have you a part of the pro-life work. I know you've been involved in this work for quite some time, as many people have that are part of the work that we do, but it's an exciting time right now to be pro-life. And one of those is some of the work that Texas has been involved in. Some of it relates to things that are happening at the U.S. Supreme Court. And in just a couple of weeks, we have the March for Life. But I think this is your first time to be on our show. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about Americans United for Life, what your organization does, and how it's influential and relevant at the national level, but also at the state level as well. Absolutely. Again, thanks for having me on today. It's a pleasure to be here. Americans United for Life, we are marking our 50th anniversary this year of standing for each and every vulnerable human life um, in America. And um, we work in the state houses and Congress and the courts and in the culture. We're a team of lawyers and educators working to defend every single human life across the full spectrum of issues from fertilization to natural death. So much of our work is in the states, and we're seeing that more and more. We're seeing that in Texas. We're seeing that in states across the nation that, you know, even when the the Congress, even when Washington, D.C. gets a little bit bogged down in the swamp, um, we can still make Um, make so many inroads. We can make so much headway in the fight for life at the state level. And we are saving millions upon millions of lives with laws that are being passed at the state level, laws like the Texas heartbeat law and all of the other laws that we're seeing, just good lawmakers passing across our nation, responding to their constituents and, and standing for life. Well, and we got to work hand in hand, if you will, with a member of your team, Katie Glenn, Earlier this year, she also spoke at one of our events, 
in the fall, one of the largest faith and family events, policy events in the state of Texas. So, and look, I've had that book, Defending Life, on my shelf or on my bookcase probably since I was a law student at the University of Houston. I've always seen every year I'm kind of looking forward to it and I, you know, sort of depend on it, if you will. And so I really appreciate the work that your organization and members of your team have been been doing for quite some time and, and always been a part of what's relevant in whatever particular year, whether it's a court case, whether it's policy issues, whether it's finding out the collection of information y'all put together of what the other states are doing. And, you know, look, I mean, there's no question. I feel like one of the biggest life stories for Texas was the Texas heartbeat law. There's some publications that say that it was the biggest life issue and story for the entire country. And I know we have the March for life coming up in a couple of weeks, and I wanted to get into some detail, but before we do, you know, I know you've, your organization has been supportive of the Texas heartbeat law, and you also testified in front of Congress recently about and in the defense of the Texas heartbeat law as, as it came under some attack. Tell us a little bit about why that was important and a little bit about your testimony that day. Absolutely. You know, when I testified before Congress, it was in a Democrat-led committee, and they were not in favor of it. In fact, if you just look at the title of it, it was talking about of this hearing. It was talking about how it was, you know, a tragedy for women, all this, you know, these talking points from the other side. I shared... Um, I shared what women need in America. I shared the truth about abortion, how abortion harms children, of course, how abortion harms women, and how we as a nation are ready to move forward without, um, without the radical abortion agenda that the Supreme Court foisted on us in 1973. We have been um, at the Supreme Court for every single abortion-related, life-related case since and including Roe v. Wade in our 50 years. We'll continue to be there for every abortion-related case in the future. And, um, and we're just seeing so much progress. It's time to, to put the care back in healthcare, to take that abortion out of it because it is not healthcare. All it does is harm women and harm children, as, as I can testify to personally. Well, we're talking with Catherine Glenn Foster. She's president and CEO of Americans United for Life, a national pro-life organization. You know, use the word care. I, I go, you know, our work is primarily focused on state level issues. Our office is two blocks from the state capitol. And I've worked on a few cases at the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, happen to be one of the attorneys for an abortion survivor, Gianna Jessen, that many people are familiar with, worked on a case and represented her one time at the U.S. Supreme Court. But most of my work is going through the halls of our state capitol. And I had a legislator come up to me one time who's supposed to be supportive of our work, sort of frustrated by our zealous advocacy, if you will. And he asked me, you know, why is this such a big deal? And, you know, that certainly there's had to be some political aspects to it. And I said, we care about people. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I'm a Christian. I care about my fellow man. You talk about this issue, the life issue. This is an issue of life and death. We're saving children. We're saving babies with our works. Matter of fact, since September 1st, since the Texas heartbeat law went into effect, um, we estimate about 19,000 lives have been saved because the abortion industry has effectively stopped doing them as all everything's been playing out in court. But that's what this work amounts to us um, that are involved in it. And so I'm, I'm glad you use that word care, but also for us to really take over or take hold of that word and that issue and, and change the narrative. I think the heartbeat law and some of the other things that are happening, I think they're forcing the narrative to be changed. I think a lot of people don't realize that a baby has a heartbeat at such an early stage. And it just is a connection point that I feel like is universal 
And I think it's instinctive. And so, and I was reading some of your testimony earlier as I was preparing that you were the only one, right, that was there in, in the congressional hearing. And a lot of times we find ourselves in these settings, right, where we're sort of the lone voice or the only one that's there. Uh, but the truth will ring true, you know, no matter how many people, you only need one. And I think you did an exceptional job. And, you know, I didn't get to watch all of it. I'm curious how they responded to some of your testimony, if there was any, you know, sort of pushback after that. There really was. Um, I I was walking into it expecting it to be adversarial. I didn't sure. expect the level of vitriol that I got from the other side. They they have their talking points and they're very good at sticking to them. We've heard them for for decades, really. Um, trust women, you know, separation of church and state, all these different kinds of, of talking points that they just repeat ad nauseum. Um, my point is it's time to trust women with the truth. Trust women with the truth that that child in the womb has a heartbeat. Trust women with the truth of just how dangerous both surgical and, and even more so really chemical abortions are. Trust women with the truth of, um, of the regret and the after effects that we're going to feel for the decades to come. That's what we need to be sharing and talking about. You know, abortion activists, they just want more conversation about abortion and more, um, more laws, you know, liberalizing abortion, like in New York, more abortions really is what they want. But Americans, we're a people of life and of hope. And, um, and that's what Americans really are asking for. And that's why we're seeing all these pro-life laws being passed at the state level, because the lawmakers who are closest to their constituents, like they're in Texas, they are listening to the people on the ground and they're saying, yes, it is time to protect all life, all vulnerable human life. Well, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, you think about there's a lot of the younger generation, if you will, that have become very strong on the life movement. We see polling change. Um, you know, you and I, if you will, as constitutional lawyers, we can we understand this or we've read a lot about this. But a lot of people know this. You'll see sometimes these trends in society as well. If you have a Supreme Court decision that's about to change or a landmark decision that's about to be overruled like Roe versus Wade, it usually is sort of after or later in the time of when society is changing. We know polling is very strong in the life issue, and it's important what the law says or what the courts say about these issues. And so you see the states leading a lot of that narrative with a lot of new laws. As I was taught in law school, the law is a teacher. It matters what we say about innocent human life. So speaking more of that issue, one of the biggest events that happens every year is the March for Life, an annual opportunity for us to come together, if you will, as a body. I'll be there. I'm going to be there with my son's Catholic high school. It's going to be exciting uh, being a chaperone. But um, it is such an important event. Tell us about how AUL is going to be involved and how you're going to be there and why every year it's been so important in the work that you do. You know, states are the laboratories of democracy, but the March for Life is so critical every year. It's that celebration of human life in all of its fullness and across the whole spectrum of issues. And, and I'm just so excited every year to celebrate human life and uphold human dignity by participating year after year. It's, it's that annual event that's held in Washington, D.C., and it has been a crucial witness for human rights ever since Roe v. Wade was imposed on America. Um, but, you know, pro-life advocates, as we've been talking about, and, and pro 
wildlife lawmakers are doing work throughout the year. So we're highlighting that work and we're supporting organizations like Americans United for Life and Texas Values who are active in the state capitals and in passing that powerful pro-life law and policy. Um, even as we gather in Washington, D.C. to stand for life, to be that powerful witness for life in our nation's capital and to then spread that back out throughout the nation so that we can continue to pass these pro-life laws and policies that are going to make a difference. So at the March for Life this year, we're going to be there. Americans United for Life will be there. Um, hope to see you there with your son's Catholic high school. Yeah, um, we'll we're going to be somewhere with a big sign. I mean, we'll just kind of be mixed up, you know, and, and I, I mean, I haven't been to the National March in a while. They do a big one here in the state. And then a lot of times we're involved in things at the state level or we're starting our legislative session. So I'm excited to be there. And, you know, look, I've been there several times. I don't really like going to D.C., even though I used to enjoy it more. Uh, I've become a little bit more attached to my state and, uh, and travel is just more complicated, particularly with COVID. But I was in D.C. twice last year and, and um, in November for the oral argument on the heartbeat law. And I believe you were there as well in December with the Dobbs case. There's a lot of important activity happening as we move towards the March for Life, as we see this Supreme Court term, a lot of anticipation, some excitement about Roe versus Wade um, being overturned. And so I'm looking forward to being there, even though there's going to be thousands, who knows, maybe there'll be millions of people. Um, the, but the March for Life is on Friday. I'm trying to remember my calendar, Friday, um, January 22nd, or is it 21st? Excuse 21st. me. 21st. 21st. Thank you. You would know better than I. I got to get to get I got to get uh, organized with my travel plans for the next couple of weeks. But and look, people can still go. I mean, it's not as if you have to have a ticket. I mean, right. You show up. People are there. It's on public streets. And I don't know what's going to happen in D.C. with some of their covid restrictions. But we'll try to sort those out ahead of time. But it's it's going to be, you know, like it was in December, it, you know, um, at the Supreme Court. I think people can feel that history is is with us, is upon us. And it could be a real special moment for a lot of folks. That's absolutely right. You know, we are going to be there. We usually see hundreds of thousands of people in D.C. We're expecting that again this year for the March for Life as that celebration. We're going to be there distributing our beautiful Love Life Always signs and, you know, marching and meeting with advocates and lawmakers throughout that whole March for Life weekend and participating in conferences and speaking engagements. But, you know, most importantly is just to come out get out on the streets and stand alongside those hundreds of thousands of people who do travel to Washington every single year to witness to the human right to life. That is what the March for Life is really about. That's the heart of it, is just taking to the Capitol and making that stand for life with all of our joyful signs, all of our um, our powerful witness and testimony. And, and I'll tell you, even back on the Dobbs oral argument day, it was, um, it was really interesting. Sometimes out in front of the Supreme Court, we've been a little bit outnumbered. We've been even shouted down, or they tried to, by the other side, by the people with the other lectern and the other microphone and all their megaphones and everything. And this time with Dobbs, it just felt different. The momentum is on our side. The momentum is, is just building for life. And so we saw more and more pro-life advocates and um, to the point where it was a little bit hard at times to find the, the so-called pro-choice, the pro-abortion side, because there were just so many joyful people standing for life out in front of the court, believing that this time the court will do the right thing and protect uh, women and children from the atrocities and the violence of abortion. 
Yeah, look, it's a special time to be pro-life. And, and it, for many of us, right, we could sort of see this over the years. It's a culmination of a lot of the work that's been done. And so it was a really, I feel like, a special and a historic day back in de- December. When I was there, you were there. So many people that have been involved in this work, but so many young people as well. We're talking with Catherine Glenn Foster. She's a CEO and president of Americans United for Life. Give us the website URL if people want to learn more about your organization before we wrap up. Yes, we're there at AUL.org. Okay, very AUL simple. AUL for Americans United for Life. Mm-hmm. You bet. And um, and we've also, if you go to our social media accounts, we're going to have a link, uh, Twitter as well. We put something up right before the show. If you want to get connected, get social with their organization as well. And and look, we'll, you know, we'll be posting things in a couple of weeks at the March for Life. We're going to find out what happens tomorrow, um, or at least have some commentary from the oral argument on the Texas Heartbeat Law at the Fifth Circuit. So Catherine Glenn Foster has been our guest today on the Texas Values Report. Thanks for having for being on. And and look, I'm going to do a little bit of wrap up as she exits the show because there's been some other activity I want to tell you all about as far as not only the Fifth Circuit, but the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay, and I tell you, look, we I mean, we focus on the state level work. There's no question. We talk about the work of faith, family, freedom, the courts, the legislature, and the media. We focus on state level work, but we, from time to time, as you see with the Texas Heartbeat Law and others, we have to get involved in things at the U.S. Supreme Court. And and, and sometimes that involves filing legal briefs. And so uh, not only is there an important court hearing tomorrow at the uh, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, okay, that is at the appellate level, but it is a pretty high appellate level. We're talking about the Federal Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, taking a look at the Texas heartbeat law. Really, it's a minor issue about whether or not the lawsuit can move forward on a very small amount of people, um, indiv- government individuals. And so I think the chances of success for the abortion movement continue to get less and less on this issue. But as well as that, there's a hearing on the vaccine mandate and Texas values led an amicus brief. Um, with close to 30 state groups, 29 state groups, one national organization, Family Policy Alliance. And we filed that on Monday in opposition to Biden's vaccine mandate. It's important for us to have a unified, robust voice at the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, One of the lawyers that we worked with on the legal brief that we filed at the U.S. Supreme Court in opposition to the Biden vaccine mandate clerked for Justice Thomas on the U.S. Supreme Court. So some really great credibility there. Harvard Law educated lawyers done work for Federalist, um, uh, excuse me, um, Federal Society and other great organizations um, on religious liberty, on some of the work that we do. And so we're excited to team up with him on this legal brief, but go to our website, check it out, txvalues.org. And it's focusing on the religious liberty uh, protections that are there, but that also are at risk. If we allow a federal government agency like OSHA, um, the Office of Safety and Health Administration, they're ones that are involved in some of these workplace regulations, right? Well, they passed through the normal procedures to come up with a regulation. There's usually notice and comment. You can go online. You can submit uh, concerns or opposition, and they can sort through it. They can usually will consider issues of religious liberty. All that was was fast-tracked and passed. They didn't engage in any of that. They didn't allow the people to have a voice on this issue. And so uh, that is why it's even more concerning that the courts be sort of a check and balance, that we, by filing a brief, are to be a check and balance on this issue. And so 
we'll um, we're going to find out a little bit more at oral argument. I, mean, I doubt we'll have a decision in that case tomorrow, but I would expect to see something very soon because you know, look, it, this case got up to the U.S. Supreme Court very quickly, sort of like the Texas heartbeat law. So a lot of people are suggesting it's been fast tracked, and so and it's really on a temporary measure because there is a temporary uh, injunction. There's a ruling on this issue and, and that could expire. And so it doesn't mean the case will be over completely, but we'll at least have some idea of where the direction of things might go. And the Supreme Court might decide to step in and decide that um, they're not going to allow the, vac- the Biden vaccine mandate to move forward. So, uh, so lots to be paying attention to tomorrow for our team. All right. So you've got the Texas heartbeat law is at the Fifth Circuit, an oral argument there, and I believe that'll be in New Orleans. In D.C., that is the Biden vaccine mandate case that's been challenged. Uh, organization is opposing it, close to 30 state groups. So Texas Values is aligned with state family policy organizations throughout the country, and, and that's based on an association and relationship we have with Focus on the Family. So from time to time, we'll get together on something like a legal filing at the U.S. Supreme Court on an issue that's become national. That allows the court to hear from a number of people and really represent states, if you will, and say, and and so in this case, we've got 30 states represented through family policy councils. That's, um, you know, that's more than a majority. So we hope that message is sent, but take some time to read our brief because, you know, what we filed really also gives some good history about religious liberty. So if you want to understand how some of these issues usually play out, it's not just as simple as, well, we have the First Amendment of the Constitution. It should be, but there's more to it when you had court decisions on specific scenarios. So the brief gets into some detail about some specific scenarios where we have gone through um, different religious liberty issues. We've gone through certain scenarios and fact patterns as it relates to specific challenges on religious liberty. And so I invite you to go through the brief and see some of that, read through it, and maybe educate yourself a little bit more on how some of these things have played out in the past um, at the U.S. Supreme Court on religious liberty. But, you know, look, and I think there's been, when when you have, we're calling, I mean, I'm not the only one that came up with this, you know, the no jab, no job kind of policy. I mean, that just starts to really cause a lot of problems, not only problems for constitutional freedoms, but people's personal lives, the economy as a whole when you look at the the impact that it can have. And you're starting to see even people from the medical community. I read an article yesterday um, that from people that are a part of making these vaccines saying, look, we can't just keep making a vaccine every four to six months and and try to, you know, have the entire world vaccinated. It's just not practical. And we need to start thinking about how we open up and we make adjustments. And so, um, but for us, it's a it's a religious freedom and liberty issues. If you have the government forcing employers to require people to get vaccinated. And here's the other thing. The, the federal government, federal agency has said, we're not going to be the ones that are going to get involved in whether or not there's, there's religious liberty protection, how to enforce these rules. That's the employer's problem. They need to deal with it and figure it out. Well, that's absolutely absurd to create a rule and then put the responsibility of the employer's um, on sifting through this and then end up with some liability likely if they get sued or um, they get pushed back and people are starting to to talk about this more. When people start losing their jobs, a lot of times they start losing other things as well. And, and, that, and I'm not saying that lightly. That is very concerning, but that's oftentimes the reality. 
And so you'll start to see litigation increase. You'll start to see people get very upset when they start to lose some of their basic needs just because they're not comfortable with or they have religious reasons or rights of conscience to where they don't want to use a vaccine that a lot of people feel like, and I think we can all agree, has gone through a shorter process than we usually see and has some side effects. And some people have suffered from some side effects. And so they've had some legitimate concerns. And there's no history of the government doing this at the level that they're doing it in so quickly. And so the precedent that it's setting is is concerning as well. So we've got that going on on Friday tomorrow. Um, If you're watching this on social media, when you hear it broadcasted, it may be a little bit later, but on Friday, January 7th. And then you've also got the Texas heartbeat law going on as well. And so, and we'll be at the March for Life. Texas Values is going to have a presence at the March for Life. We're excited about that. And look, before we end, um, if I can get a, a comment or a, an update on, all right, two minutes left. I don't know when that was posted. Maybe it's less less than that now. Okay, just now. Thank you, Natalie. So, um, you know, we had a lot of focus at the end of last year on fundraising, right? The last week of the year, excuse me. And and that's not anything new. I mean, that's normal for us to um, to spend a lot of time in the last week, the last four or five days, highlighting our work and trying to encourage and inspire people to donate to us because we are a nonprofit 501c3 organization. The only way we can continue to do the work we do if people support us financially, but we ended so well. We ended so strong in it. And, and I don't you know, expect it and take it lightly or take it for granted. But, you know, our supporters are so faithful every year. And I, it's striking to me sometimes because I know based on their checks and their, you know, the envelopes and stuff, so many people sat down on December 31st and said, I'm going to write this check. I'm going to put this in the mail. And I just want to say thank you. And a lot of our donations did come in online, but so many of them too are just, you know, the old school snail mail way. And so we come back from, you know, New Year's and we've got this huge stack of mail with just all this generosity from people. And we just want to say thank you so much. You helped us meet our goals. We actually exceeded our goals because people were so generous, um, a little bit more than maybe we had expected or anticipated. And so we're going into 2022 stronger than we've ever been. We're going to be uh, bringing more people a part of our team because of your generosity. We're going to spread the work of Texas Values throughout the state in a more robust way. And you're going to see defense and support and protection and advocacy for faith and family and freedom at a level that we haven't seen in quite some time. So I just want to say thank you so much for doing that. However, January does start a new calendar year. So if you didn't get an opportunity to give at the end of the year, or you know you had a great week already, you want to support us, go to txvalues.org, make that tax deductible donation today. So, But thank you again for supporting us. That is the way we can protect faith, family, and freedom in Texas. And we'll talk to you next week on the Texas Values Report.